Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Kim on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to another thorific edition of Neil Before Pod. I'm your host Craig McKenzie and I come to you from the farthest reaches of the galaxy to talk about another Marvel movie. Thor Ragnarok was recently released for public consumption and Neil Before Pod is drawn to Marvel movies like a Hulk drawn to a giant fire demon. So here we are. Joining me for this task are my own particular brand of Warriors 3. First up is Angus. Hello. Hello. Delayed hello. Chris is here as hello. always. Hello. And Aaron, also here. Aye, aye. Okay with the Warriors 3 thing? Yeah, I know it's, uh, well, spoilers, but, you know, there's there, there spoilers for Warriors 3. Um, everybody's the Warriors 3, it's fine. We will battle with you to the end. I don't know I don't know what you're looking for, but, yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll do. That's Yay. as rousing a battle cry as I could have hoped for Fight. on a Monday yeah. Uh, mucked up the intro again. Yay. At least I'm consistent. <laughs> so, how is everybody? Ready to talk some Marvel? Ready to talk some Thor? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, totally. There we go. We did promise bad puns on the trailer podcast, so we're off to a good start. Oh, I promised nothing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was off the dome. Me Aaron, promised Aaron's nothing, just, but... <laughs> Aaron's just going to sit there and keep it low-key. Oh. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> we're in we're in for a thoroughly good time. Oh yes. <laughs> this is it, just two hours of this. Yeah. I can see the listener count just dropping. Strap in. <laughs> okay, so we've all seen it. Thor Ragnarok it recently came out in the UK. As we record it, it's not out in the US yet, so uh sorry American listeners. I don't know. Well, how did Marvel. we get it first? We always get Marvel movies a week early. How the hell did Feige, we get that? Because Kevin Feige figured out that it makes more money that way. Mm, fair so enough. it just keeps happening. Which is fine. But it's pretty weird when we get film a film that has America in the title before, you know, the US do. But I'm not complaining. It means I get to see it a week early. So that's fine by Well, now. if algorithm says more money, then they do algorithm. That's it. Execute algorithm. Release UK. Everyone wins, except the Americans. We can get it spoiled for them. Which is fine. Uh, I don't know if it comes out in Australia first, despite the fact that a lot of it was filmed in Australia. I don't know. I, I could look that up, but I'm not going to. So, we've all seen it. Uh, Angus, do you want to go off through your spoiler-free thoughts before we, you know, spoil it for everyone? Uh, yeah. Um... Kind of following on from the trailer, I thought it was um, as colourful as it was as it looked like it was going to be. Um, I had really no idea what to expect in terms of the plot, uh, and thought that uh, the plot was pretty simplistic. But um, I enjoyed several things about it. The, there was like some pretty good action, uh, pretty good characters. I, I quite liked a lot of that. Um, 
But overall, yeah, I don't know. I've got kind of reserved thoughts that I think I'm going to wait until we dive into spoilers before uh, discussing further. Oh, some naysaying is coming next. Interesting. We're worried that there wouldn't be any kind of bad thoughts, but whatever. Uh, Chris, what did you think? <laughs> I don't know if they're bad. They're just... Um, just not good. We'll find out. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure whether it was going to be as uh, comedic as it looked in the trailer. I thought that was kind of a cover, but as it was, it was actually about ten times funnier than the sort of trailers made out. The sort of technicolor visuals, the style of the film, I really, really liked, um, and the sort of eighties arcade soundtrack to it, I thought was just kind of a, a neat mix. They seem to have gone along the sort of Guardians of the Galaxy route with this. Uh, and I, I kind of liked it. I really I really liked it. Cool. I was absolutely dreading this film. <laughs> I thought I was going to despise it. I couldn't believe some of the trailers as well made it look like it was going to be Flash Gordon and I thought, I don't want to watch that. I really don't. But I can honestly say... Ah, uh, that was brilliant. There we go. I like how you started off with a negative and then turned it into a positive. That was well. Jessica's cool. thought too was something of a nightmare for me. Yeah. I mean, it, whether it was a quality problem or not, the other issue I was always going to have, I think, is the style of humour. I think Thor two had the style of humour that is in Agents of Shield and other such programs, and I don't like it. it, it it's not, I don't find it funny, I find it silly, I, can't, I don't get anything out of it. it. It just doesn't match with me, and I thought they were carrying on with that, with all the trailers that were coming out with all the comedy. But somehow, and maybe that's the director, I think the style of humour is totally different in Ragnarok, and I did get along with it, and I'm very pleased with that. Yeah, I loved it as well. I thought it was, that it was had the right mix of humour, action, some good character stuff in there. Um, there weren't too many surprises. Uh, I don't know how easy it is for a blockbuster to surprise anybody, but uh, it was just really good, a really good time. Um, it's a shame that it could be the last Thor film and this is the one where they get it right. It's a problem, but it's what it is. It's pretty good. Um, it's really good and... I haven't seen it again, but I will. I'll see it a second time at some point when I have the time. Yeah. No uh, no complaints. Well, I suppose I'll have some nitpicks as we go on, but we'll find out. Uh, so, now that we've all kind of given our spoiler-free stuff, is anybody needing to add anything before you know we, we start the, the spoiler storm? Nope. For John. <laughs> For John, yeah. Uh, other guys? No, nothing to add? No, I don't think so. Nope. Excellent. Cool, I will uh, summon a, a storm of spoiler. Right, now we can say what we want. Uh, I just thought we'd start, since this is the third solo film for Thor, although it's his fifth appearance overall in the MCU, um, is it just five? Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, so what are the thoughts on the previous Thor movies? You know, the, the the two of them. I'd say they're pretty different to each other. 
So it's kind of worth spending a couple of minutes just chatting about thoughts on that. And Aaron, you can start us off this time. Why not? Go backwards. I've come to Thor 3 liking Thor 1 and really hating Thor 2. So I'm definitely somebody who agrees that they're all completely different. I didn't. I liked the first one because it had mythical journey element to it. Again, quality of various points aside, that appealed to me, especially because Thor character is a mythical figure. It was right to me that he had a Beowulf-like journey to go through. And then we got the second film, which was... I don't even know what it was. I can't even describe it. I think because I was so turned off by some of the humour and there's even scenes that I just can't get out of my head that just seem utterly pointless. But I'll pick up on the human thing. Certainly the the style completely changed because people didn't like, as I understand, that there was a a lack of humour in the first one. It It wasn't as ridiculous as I think people want the Thor character to be, you know, a man out of time, somebody going around in Viking gear. You know, it had sort of had to be ridiculous, but I I didn't want that. I I liked the third one for the fact that still had some dignity but was still able to be the butt of jokes. So, you know, not not taking himself too seriously. So it's almost like they swung the pendulum between two extremes and then in the third film settled into the middle of balance of, of all of those effects. And and as you say, it's it's strange that it took such wildly different approaches to then settle down into the third one and now and now this is the last one. Potentially the last one, who knows? Depends if they want to give Hemsworth the money. Um, I kind of enjoyed the first one as an introduction to the character. It was a little bit different from everything else that they were doing at the time. Um, so I quite liked that one. Four two was kind of dull, a bit there, really. It had it had some little funny moments that were tied up in there. I know that Aaron didn't like the the humour so much in that one, but it did have a couple of little funny gags. But they were like one-off gags. It wasn't sort of rip roaring laughter throughout, and it also had one of the most meh villains of the whole thing as well, Malekith. Um how quickly we forget. Um, so, yeah. I'd, we have I'd, the one guy that remembers his name on this Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's left that much of an impression on me. He's just, nah, Malekith. Um I think that was his tagline. Um, but, yeah, it's... And that's, that's pretty much about it, really. I, I kind of liked his appearances in The Avengers and things like that more than I enjoyed his own films. They're not ones that I go to if I'm in a mood for a Marvel film that I'm going to watch as a one-off or something the four films aren't ones that I run to naturally yeah fair enough uh, Angus your thoughts um, yeah kind of similar to the, what the other guys have said I, I I did enjoy the first one I quite liked the whole sort of fish out of water story that's where all the humour kind of came from you know the this um, Norse god kind of coming down to a small town and having to uh, kind of fit in there or figure out life there without his powers um, I like a lot of the kind of Thor and Loki stuff that's come since then but I also kind of agree with uh, with Chris there as well that um, 
I can barely remember anything that happened in the second one, and so all of the other good stuff probably comes from the other films that those characters have uh, appeared in, other than one. Because Thor one, I can I can recall most of it. I could tell you what happened, but yeah, two must have been so bland for me that I've basically just blocked it all from my mind. Uh, I was kind of the opposite. Uh, I didn't like the first one at all. I just find it really boring. Um, it's just he go it gets to Earth and then not much happens. I quite like the Asgard stuff before that, but then the the rest of the film I just found fairly dull and doesn't really culminate in much. And um, and then he appears in the Avengers, despite the fact it ends with him essentially being cut off from visiting the other realms which obviously need to be resolved, otherwise you can't be in the Avengers, so it was a weird ending. The second one I like a bit better, but I also think it's fairly disposable. Um, it doesn't really do anything to link into the other the, the other part of the parts of the universe, not that it has to, uh, but it just feels like it's largely inconsequential in terms of tying into everything else, apart from the fact that it has an Infinity Stone in it. Uh, yeah, the villain was rubbish. Um, but you know, I, th- I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I quite like the end portal action sequence thing; that was pretty cool. Uh, but it's probably overall, I think the Thor entries have been the weakest parts of the MCU up until this point, at least. Uh, he's ne- it was necessary kind of for him to be in Avengers and things like that. But I prefer him. I preferred him as part of the group until I saw this film. So that's my thoughts. Moving on to this film then, um, what did we think of Thor in this film? I mean, personally I thought he changed quite a lot uh, since the last one. Before he was kind of, he was the self-serious guy always talking about dire peril and making big speeches about how he was essentially just going to hit you with his hammer. But he was always kind of yeah self-serious and people would make fun of him. And the fact is that the part of it would have been that he doesn't get the joke. So that's, that is the joke. But this one he's... You know, he's very charming, he's very quippy. Um, it feels like Chris Hemsworth is more settled in the role than he's ever been. It's almost like he's getting to play the version of Thor that he wanted to, and he has a lot more personality than he's ever had, which definitely helps. It's a one-off joke, though, isn't it? That's the problem. When he comes down and he asks for a horse and there isn't a horse, and then he talks about a sword and everybody else is using guns, is once you've done that joke it's over and you can't come back to it so he had to move on he had to learn i think it's 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 almost a shame they didn't drop that right from the start because it is a one-off joke and say this is unsustainable but i think maybe the character wouldn't have been recognizable if they hadn't have done that he needed to be out of time out of space somehow but now he's had time to be on Earth. You could say he's learned, he's be- realized he's a superstar. And because he is effectively a god, as everybody says, his ego's picked up on that. And he is happy to take uh, selfies with two hot women that happen to pass him on the street. And he loves that. It, it sort of makes sense of someone who's suddenly discovered how famous they actually are and is taking full advantage of that. So it, it, maybe it had to be as it was, but he has developed over the over the films into this and it, it it works really well i i do think he he does develop through this but i think the biggest change we've seen in force appears to have happened off screen 
in my opinion, when the film opens here, I think you've got a very different character from what you've seen in previous films. Um, there is a bit of development by the end of the film, but I think from the very off, you're kind of seeing a... He's, he's been more plotting and scheming in the in the first piece of this. You know, he's planned to be caught, he's planned to be hanging there so that he can get the helmet and do all the... You know, so that's something that we haven't really seen from Ford before, because a lot of the other stuff we've seen is basically him bumbling into a situation, uh, or, you know, someone coming after him. So I think the biggest change, really, in him has happened between films. He does seem like a different character from the start here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think um, it's a bit strange because, obviously, the kind of uh, tone and the humour of this film dictates the way a lot of the characters behave. And uh, that's a good thing because uh, it's they're you know they're they're funnier than they were before and they, they you know there's a lot of strange characters will come on to, um, but yeah it's a bit it is a bit weird that that you know one film ends another one begins and everyone behaves slightly differently just because it's directed by someone with a different sense of humor and a different you know visual style uh, and it's good to see a bit of development and and you know even. In, in the story itself, Thor kind of tells Loki, you know, you don't develop as a character. So at least they're even acknowledging it there that, that it's, something's happening. But it does feel a bit like quite a major shift for, for almost all of the characters in this. Nobody's, nobody really behaves similarly to have, how they have in the past. Yeah, and I thought it would be more jarring than it was, but it it does work. I mean, I was pretty on board with this altered version of Thor from the first, his, with the first scene, really. And you know, Banner is different; uh, he's less mm-hmm. tortured, which we'll get to. Um, Loki is pretty much the same, although he's kind of leaning into his duplicitous nature and kind of you know, he's like, "I'm always going to betray you." Of course, I am. You know, he's kind of. Uh, surprised that people don't ex- can expect him to change, um, and maybe that's the point. Um, although I would say that Thor has a bit of a through line in terms of his character arc. If you look at his three films, because um, the first film was kind of he was about to be king of Asgard, and then he got waylaid because he just you know someone broke into the vault, and then they never finished the ceremony. And then the second one, he actively turns down the throne. And this one, it's kind of him getting to the point where he's comfortable leading his people. But he, he also finds his own way to do it, because he doesn't like the old guard way of doing it. I mean, it's it's not as well developed as it could be, but it is a bit of a through line, I think. No, I, I, I kind of agree, actually, that you've you've had this transition from a sort of someone that was desperate to be king, wanted to be the boss, to I don't want it at all, to now... Yeah, I'm not sure. Sort of just captain of his own ship by the end of it, really, with his people on board. I'm I'm not sure if at that point he's king, not king, just kind of the the guy that's pointing the ship the right way. You know, he's sitting on the throne, so you know. Oh well, okay. I just thought that was a nice seat that they had put out for him. But you know, well. it's probably just one of those things that only works in a story, though, because if you think about any of these things too hard, you come up with too many challenges. Like it's. That he is a god, and he has been this way before Thor, the original Thor film, for, what, a millennia, at least? And then all of a sudden learns how to become more human in two films. 
because it's necessary, because how else can you have any story without it developing into films? But you're thinking, really, was this guy a spoiled, arrogant creature for a thousand years and didn't learn anything at all? Suddenly, but of course, that's the power of Earth and humans and love. Yeah, so you know, a long weekend with Natalie Portman's enough to settle up, sort him out. Exactly, it's a, it sort of has to be that way. But it, you, you, it's sort of one of those things. Yeah, you, you're never going to get a good development in terms of uh, literature. Uh, overcoming tragedy and so on because they they're never going to be able to do that in action films so I'm I think I'm okay as you say that there was this through there was he did develop into the three films yeah it's certainly weird that it's overlaid with a different humor style in each one I think <laughs> actually separate those two points it's it's not that there's no journey it's just that he's he's he is he, the butt of jokes and then he, suddenly he's giving the jokes and you're thinking, does that match with somebody who suddenly becomes so self-aware? So it, it emphasises it possibly too much. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I suppose you could... It's difficult because it's not really a trilogy. I mean, they, they talk about... People talk about Captain America's development throughout his trilogy, but the thing is, with, with these films, it's not really because there's been two Avengers films in between their own films, so... You have to factor in what they went through in that particular thing, and I mean, in Age of Ultron, he just you know took a bath and then learned about some Infinity Stones, and then he left to go look for them, which he makes a joke about at the start of this film. You know, went looking for Infinity Stones, didn't find any. Now I'm here, don't know what I'm doing. So he's maybe he's a bit aimless in this film at the beginning, I suppose. Oh, it certainly has purpose. He's as as I forget which who said it, but they said he's now. Is it Chris who said that he's he's got a plan? He's actively trying to rule a kingdom and make things better. He's he's uh, he's he's definitely trying to achieve things, trying to be a leader, trying to be a king, trying to solve problems. And that's that's a that's a good introduction to to somebody who used to be very childlike. You know, it shows that he has actually become a completely different person. And it it's it's much less jarring than what they do with Bruce Banner in the third film, which is quite odd, actually. <laughs> which we will definitely get to. Uh, in terms of the, the things he loses in this film, I mean, he, he loses his father, of course. Uh, he also loses his hammer, which is essentially a part of him. You know, it's he has some kind of connection to it, which is, again is made a joke of. And I suppose... I don't know, I'm glad they didn't weigh it down in angst because angst really annoys me because it's everywhere. But it seems a bit weird that he's just seems to just roll with the punches. You know, his dad dies, he kind of shouts and then uh, his hammer's destroyed and he's just like dealing with it and trying to get off this planet he's stuck on and things like that. I think it's kind of the tone of the film that does that where if he had been saddled with angst at the loss of his father and grieving over the loss of his hammer the film would have had to have been hours and hours and hours long in order to get around to the resolution that you do at the end there I think they need to have him sort of back and on his feet quite quickly in order to to roll with the gags and the punches and everything else that was coming up Yeah, it moves along quite quickly and uh maybe those losses don't have the impact that they might have done in a more serious version, but as you said already, who wants that? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see Thor crying over his hammer for 20 minutes. No. Yeah. Just... <laughs> Very long Viking funeral for Odin and, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I'm, I'm glad they went. I'm glad they went that way. But there is. Um, it could have almost like went off the the scale into just being too ridiculous. But I think it kept itself kind of grounded on certain things. So you'd always have that scene that breaks it up, where he would chat about how he feels about the situation. I mean, it would be peppered with jokes, but at the same time, you'd still be having that discussion where he's where he talks about, okay, I've got to get back to Asgard because you know she's destroying it, and, and that that sense of um, a sense of what he needs to do is always there. I think that's important in this film, actually, and most important for the humour, because the one thing that I picked up on what Chris just said about Thor 2, I now am firmly believed in is true, in that Thor 2 used throwaway, in-the-moment gags that were like jokes out of a cracker. Whereas Thor 3, Ragnarok, is using jokes that are relevant to the circumstance that the characters are in, every joke has this origin in something meaningful or purposeful or or is more based that way. They're not about just a monster that chases a bird through the air, which is the end of Thor 2, which is kind of quirky, but ultimately a total waste of time. Whereas even if Thor tried to get on the underground, you know, things like you know please don't cut my hair please you know it's based in the character he doesn't want his hair and it turns out he's a little girl when somebody threatens his hair (laughs) it it feels like it's actually based in who he is we 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 laugh (laughs) about it because it's well it's funny because of it because of something that is important to what's actually going on the character you know rather than just being a pointless joke yeah i think that's um probably brought from the director because if you look at all his other movies it, I think I've heard this somewhere that he, he just says he makes movies about two people having conversations in rooms about how mundane their lives are so it's all kind of observational and yeah. uh, you know f- far more based on that sort of style than just chucking in gags for the sake of it Yeah um, I enjoyed the comedy throughout uh, definitely um, there wasn't really anything about it that annoyed me uh, I just I, th- I think it all stuck to what was, what was, what were the characters were in that film certainly, um, mm. maybe not what come before, but like I said, Thor before he was like the, he was the straight man in the Avengers essentially, um, or one of because he would just, he'd be the one reminding everyone that they're about to be doomed, um, or he'd be on his own little quest that they were helping him on. So it was all about let's find the scepter, let's do this, you know, that's. Um, let me go find Infinity Stones, etc. But uh, in this one, it's yeah, it's more relaxed. He's more relaxed, and the, the film itself feels more relaxed. And there's something about the slots that characters can fall into, though, that kind of trapped him in the first film, because Tony Stark covered the comedy, and somebody else trying to do it as well would have just made it feel like a competition or that wouldn't have hit so hard when either one of them told a joke if they were both doing it. Whereas in Ragnarok, he has the Tony Stark role. He effectively is. He's chatting at the women. He's, you know, his ego is, is the one getting him into trouble. He's making jokes about clothing and what have you. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's his slot to fill in that, in that film. Yeah. Makes me wonder what his role will be in uh, Infinity War. <laughs> Like when, Stark, when Tony Stark's, <laughs> yeah, when Tony Stark's back in the picture and he's doing all the kind of 
uh, playboy kind of humour. Thor's just going to have to take a back seat again. <laughs> it's going to be damsel in distress on Thanos' ship. <laughs> oh, cute. oh dear, yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll come back to Thor because it is his film. Uh, Banner. It's a bit of a buddy movie in some respects. Banner and the Hulk. The Hulk who gets more, probably more screen time as the Hulk than he's ever had. And I'm personally glad that the guy talks and says a lot because that always annoyed me about his usage in the other films where he just doesn't say anything. So when he does show up, he's like an engine of destruction. But here in this, he has a personality and it's a, it's a really funny personality. Um, and it's very distinct from Banner as well. And he's not just an angry guy. He's... No, he was a bit, um, he seemed a bit lost in some ways, you know, he was just, wasn't sure what was going on, and just kind of settling into his role as a, a guy that fights a lot, I suppose. Yeah, I think in a way this feels like his appearance, in fact almost everyone's appearance in this is almost like a kind of spin-off from the the main thrust, the main story of, of uh, all the other individual films and the Avengers and all the kind of cinematic universe stuff everyone everyone feels like they're kind of inhabiting a different universe and that they've you know it's shifted just enough to allow them to be uh different versions of themselves um and i don't know i suppose you just have to accept that when you're watching this film i mean i, I did enjoy it uh i did enjoy hulk and banner in it but it doesn't as i say it just doesn't feel as if it's as connected to the the sort of existing movies no, the the tortured part of Bruce Banner is a joke in this film, as is everything. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, everyone's laughing at the fact that he's really stressed out that he's on an alien planet, and Thor's even making fun of him for it. But uh, in another film, he, this would be a genuine source of concern, where he was about to hulk out in the middle <laughs> of an alien street. Yeah, it did seem like they they sort of played that bit for laughs, but also the 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 way that he. He sort of has his control now. I, I thought was a sort of interesting thing for them to play with, and the fact that the Hulk could just potentially overwhelm him completely, and he just would never change back to to Banner again. I thought was quite an interesting thing to go. They didn't really seem to do anything with that, <laughs> or explain it, the end, or, 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 or came to that conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> but that that sort of seemed to crop up, and I was like, oh, that's like an interesting angle. If if he does it again, he won't come back, and then it's like, oh well, that's now not not the case. It's fine. Ah, we'll, we'll deal it's, with he's that. Come, he's come thing. to an agreement with his unconscious self, so it's fine. Yeah, they are distinctly two different people now, the Hulk and mm. Banner. You know, it's not that... Well, Banner becomes the Hulk, but Banner isn't the Hulk. The Hulk is its own thing. Um, and there's... They are in conflict with one another to an extent, although... Um, Aaron, you'll know from Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, where he was able to talk to himself by looking in a mirror and things like that. They haven't done any of that, at least not yet. I actually thought that with this film, Bruce was the weakest element in that they didn't manage to separate out the personalities at all. In this film, I found the Hulk to be a very different personality to the Bruce Banner we've seen in all previous films. But in this film, I found that the Hulk and Bruce were very similar in terms of how they could be. Obviously, physically, they couldn't. And in anger, they couldn't be uh, the same because of the necessity of turning one into the other. But 
Hulk is very childlike. He's presented as somebody who is not in control, who is trapped. His parents tell him what to do, when to fight, when to eat, when to train, and he doesn't really get to make decisions. And he's, as you say, he's lost, but he's lost in a way a child is lost, that they don't have any real choice. But Bruce came across as very childlike in this to me as well. He, he now also never really made any decisions. He was dragged along. He was also lost. They made that clear. He's on an alien planet and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he is just a walking time bomb and that is it. He doesn't really have any defining character to himself. He doesn't get any real lines other than to comment on he's a bit like the Hulk, but he's not. Oh, actually, he's the Hulk, and he might go into the Hulk. His entire uh, script is is set around that one thing. Even at the end, when he gets to make his choice about how he's going to help save the day, it's about whether he turns into Hulk or not. It's So he, he doesn't have any unique characteristics. In the other films, he could talk to uh, Tony Stark about the science. He could talk to other characters about what troubles they were having, and he came across as a very intelligent person, not someone who said, I've got six degrees, why doesn't anybody believe I've got six degrees? Because you're behaving like a child, you're not behaving like an intelligent human being. He, So I think I think they really did banner down in this film. I, I, I'm really, I really loved the film, I thought it was great, but if I had to pick up one part I thought was done badly, I, th- I would say it was definitely Bruce. I'd agree with you with that. I, I, I do think in, in the past they've been able to use his sort of science background as like Banner's weapon. You know, the thing that makes him as useful as the Hulk is the fact that he can science his way out of situations and he can improvise and do that, where he didn't really get to do that. I understand the fish-out-of-water thing about being on an alien planet, but I thought they would have given him a little bit more to sort of show he's smart than sort of just having him getting dragged along behind everyone for the, the film. Yeah, he was almost more just kind of bumbling his way through things than than you know showing any kind of uh, wits. Yeah, and I think it was probably more about having the Hulk there and developing the Hulk as a, a personality, um, especially when you just had the the bit of back and forth between Hulk and Thor. You know, the the scene where they were essentially roommates, uh, getting on each other's nerves, which I thought was you know a really interesting way to play it. You know, you've got Thor's just trying to like get things moving, he's trying to get the Hulk involved and and he's bouncing a ball off the wall, you know just and he's just doing things that are just annoying, uh, which is obviously you don't see that from the Hulk because he's normally just smashing stuff, but he seems quite content to just be himself and I wonder if it's a, the start of a kind of, well they talk about they've got a sort of through line or a trilogy arc for the Hulk and over the next three films, including this one that he's in, so maybe there's some kind of emotional development from him. So, you know, he'll be maybe a teenager-esque type in um, Infinity War. And I don't know, then he'll come into his own further in a later film. It's possible they're going that way. Sounds like a possibility. It's a good enough theory. Yeah. But even then, he was just... It was good to hear him speak and, and talk about how much better than Thor he was. Which is always Which is always amusing. I just thought they had a, a, a good bit of fun with him. Um, you know, like they've done a lot of the different elements in here. It's a character that, you you know, you haven't seen much interaction. It's basically been a, a, a slightly loose cannon that they can fire or gets fired accidentally. 
Um, you know, a lot of people ask why they don't sort of deploy the Hulk more often, and it's the fact that, well, they're not really in control of him. They can kind of point him in the right direction and hope that he's he's going to tackle the bad guys rather than the good guys, and that seems to be about it. You know, if he gets set off accidentally, then he just causes old man under mayhem. Yeah. Right. It's definitely just an engine of destruction, and mm. it, this film uses its dialogue to actually point out that for the purposes of this film, Banner is essentially useless. Because so you've got the bit where, where Thor is talking about the, the Hulk's much better in a fight, and Banner's like, I'm just as useful as the Hulk, and are you though? And, you know, he's he's kind of trying to talk him into becoming the Hulk again, which is a bit weird because the guy's sitting there talking about how I might be gone forever if I turn into the Hulk again. And <laughs> Thor's like, yeah, but I kind of need the Hulk, so well, that's a problem for later. But that's the point. It, it shouldn't have been. It, it, it was a good joke, but it would have been better, I think, if they'd have had an intelligent banner having to give something up, have to make a sacrifice, because then you, you don't have to linger on it. You don't have to make it this big thing with violins playing. But for it to be an important character choice at the moment where it where you say, I'm pleased the hero did that, you know, you feel like you're really with him. It, it needed to be a sacrifice. And in order to be a sacrifice, it was, it's, well, Banner is trying to solve things in some clever way. And it's like, that's actually really good, but it would be even better if you smashed something right now. But he's, he's desperate to try and do something. And it, if you could believe that he could have done, maybe he could have done this, if he could have had more time, if he could have had more resources, then he might have been able to do it as Banner. But as Hulk, he can just do it straight away. And the situation calls for it. But as it is, it's not a sacrifice at all. All we lost is some complaining dude on a planet. I mean, we've got a bunch of them. <laughs> Who cares? It doesn't really matter if he goes away or not. So it, I did find that that was a part where it actually kind of wasn't funny. You just sort of went with Thor and said, he's totally right. You need to do this now. So, so it's not, the joke isn't there anymore because it's, it's, there's nothing to lose. It doesn't play off against anything. I suppose a good uh, use of Banner would be if he engineered their escape in some way, you know, made his science useful mm-hmm. to the situation. I fully expect that the next time he appears in a film, it's almost as if this would have happened at all and he'll be back to kind of the way that we've seen him used in the past as a character, um, which is kind of part and parcel of what you get with films helmed by different people across, you know, or characters appearing in these films across multiple stories and uh, trilogies, and uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna happen. He, his use as a character is gonna go back to kind of how he fits in to the rest of the Avengers. I think. Yeah, and I dare say that he'll turn back into Banner because Hulk's expensive to show. So, and you know, Mark Ruffalo not quite as expensive. So Banner will have to come. Back. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ruffalo can probably command quite a fee. Yeah, but not as much as the you know photorealistic CGI of the Hulk. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I do agree that that Banner was probably not that Bannerish, uh, which is a shame because I like the character and I always feel a bit robbed that Mark Ruffalo never got the chance to do his own solo Hulk film where they got to explore that kind of duality that he has um, so you kind of just get tastes of it in the other films and you know the, the Hulk is only useful enough in the Avengers for what he needs to be used for so um, every hero proves how strong they are by taking on the Hulk you know Stark proves how good his tech is by taking on the Hulk 
etc. He is what he is. Yeah, he is. Um, so on to Loki then, everyone's favourite bad guy. Uh, he's not a bad guy. What is he now? No one knows. Uh, <laughs> how do we think he was used in this film? <laughs> I feel like um, Tom Hiddleston was having a lot of fun <laughs> with this. And it looked like it was, you know, a fun film to, to shoot and be involved with. Um, uh, I, yeah, as we said before, um, Thor kind of points out to him that he's not developing as a character. And so he kind of falls into the same sort of trap as well. As he just he just exists to uh, to help the team when he when he can, but also then to inevitably turn on them when he can. But as I say, it looked like Hiddleston was having a lot of fun with it. It's like you know he's he knows who the character is now. He could probably do it with his eyes closed, standing on his head. Uh, but you know that's not a bad thing because obviously he's a popular character and he's you know quite fun, even if he is pretty samey in most of his appearances how did nobody figure out that Odin wasn't the real Odin though you know it was, <laughs> I mean it was so obvious I mean we already knew of course but it's just yeah I don't I don't know if those Asgardians are all that bright I mean <laughs> they don't really have a they, you know doesn't look like they've got a lot going for them in someone had any to tell around. Thor like he had to be told that Odin wasn't around and then <laughs> <laughs> he was able to see the obvious, but it it did seem that was one thing that I kind of came out of the film, and I, I I enjoyed Loki in this. Like you say, it was just Tom Hiddleston having tons of fun. He's the villain that everyone loves to see electrocuted and falling uh, into infinity for as long as Doctor Strange wants to. That's the character's role now: is that he gets beaten about and thrown about by the Hulk and dropped by. Uh, uh, Doctor Strange and electrocuted for periods and everyone's like, yeah, do that to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like seeing the smarmy smile getting wiped off his face. But uh, the bit I didn't quite understand was that if if you had liked 4-2, if anyone out there liked 4-2 and you saw the end of that film with Loki on the throne of Asgard, you'd be like, oh my god, what's he gonna do? Oh, the tension is killing me. I can't wait to find out what he's done. <laughs> Oh no, he's sitting there eating grapes, a, a play all about him, which is hilarious to see, but it, the, it's kind of the biggest come down from whatever suspense you fought at the end of 4-2. If you were to go from 4-2 into this film, without, without watching any of the stuff in between, if you were just simply going right 4-1, 4-2, 4-3, you'd be looking at that going, what the hell just happened? When did his his cunning plan become? I'm going to sit back and eat grapes. Uh, I, I I don't. That that's the bit that for me was like. What, what, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious, but I, I I was kind of thinking, hang on, what's what's happened to the character here? Also, the um the fact that everyone is sort of so willing to forgive for all his past misdemeanors. <sighs> Not you know like four. I can almost understand because he seems to forgive him every film. However, the other characters, be it uh, Heimdall or whoever, sort of goes, "Nice to see you back, sir. How you doing, old buddy, old chum?" So I get a pat on the back, and I'm like, "You should be smacking him in the face. What's going on here?" That's what I'm talking about. Those Asgardians don't seem to know or realize that they should be you know taking massive issue with him. Whereas obviously a lot of the time they're saying, "Oh, we can't go back to Earth. They hate me on Earth." 
But, you know, we can always go back to Asgard because they're quite happy. I suppose it's like they've lived for millennia, so if you fall out with someone for a few years, it's only a few years. It's like falling out with someone for 15 minutes, you know. <laughs> it's just as Evil Street could grow out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets a bit despotic in their early 2000s. It's kind of hinted at that he, uh, you know, when he was going through Odin's vault, he was a bit like, oh, there's the Tesseract, I might just have a go with that again. But if he'd really, you know, been sitting there eating grapes the whole time, couldn't he have just gone in and had his way with all that stuff anytime he liked? Yeah, I suppose. Um, I think he's The problem the- with him turned him into a jester. He is actually yeah. a court jester. Yeah. But the reason nobody falls out with him is because, well, it's his job to make us laugh and do all the stupid stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It never amounts to anything bad because he's got no real power, so let's let him do what he wants, you know. And that's the problem. In in any future film now, to be taken seriously at all, he'll need some threat value back. He'll need to stop being the court jester. So I hope he has taken the Infinity Stone and he really kicks off with it because it'll bring the character back. I would say he definitely has because, um, well, you see that ship, which is probably Thanos' ship in the post credit scene, and probably chasing after them because it detects the Tesseract on there. More than likely. Plus, I don't think mm. it'll have been atomized with the rest of Asgard, because you know it's yep. required. He so. definitely paused as he went by. Yeah, he definitely took it. Uh, there's no two ways about that. Uh, I quite like the usage of him. Um, yeah, he's just he blends into the tone quite well, and you've got the whole Thor does expect him to betray him, and that's why he kind of sneaks the electrocution <laughs> disc on his neck or his back or whatever it was. Um, and he knows exactly what he's like because you know he he keeps throwing stones at him to when to to prove that he's not there you know and kind of shows that he keeps his distance and he's afraid and when the Hulk shows up he just he's terrified he's like I've got to get off this planet right now because <laughs> he remembers the uh, their last encounter so that that was a nice little continuity callback but only in such a way as it points out how useless Loki really is yeah. Yeah. He he's got want no to, power, he's got no threat value he he's doesn't want revenge, he has to run away he just wants What's to run the point? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I suppose it's fine for this film because the the Thor versus Loki dance is pretty well played out by this point throughout all the films so it's kind of good to have him in a slightly different role but still retaining that kind of duplicitousness uh, without, without making too big a deal of it they, they keep him consistent and they keep him doing what people like him doing and, and all that stuff. So um, the his scenes aren't about will he betray them, it's more about when will he betray them. They use him for a plot purpose, and it's funny. He, yeah, he does well, but I think if they don't give him anything better, Hiddleston should drop it and not do any more, because <laughs> otherwise he'll, he might end up being in danger of becoming part of the joke. You know, As Angus yeah. says, no development. And he is just the butt, of, the butt of jokes. He is just somebody for Thor to dick around with. <laughs> so yeah. he'll need more, otherwise there's no point carrying on. Yeah. Well, he's kind of up to his old tricks because he sucks up to the Grand Master because he wants to, at some point, overthrow him. Nah, that's so that's pretty weak as it's done, though, because they never yeah. actually show that he stands any chance of doing it. The best he does is steal some keys you know there was never really any belief that he was going to do it he was just going to become the, the grandmaster's court jester 
That's yeah. what was going to happen based on what we saw. And again, it's funny in the film, but yeah, he needs to up his game. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, like the plan that he seemed to have with the Grandmaster was just he was making sure that he had as many escape routes as possible if he <laughs> fell out with the Grandmaster. I don't think it was so much that he was he was wanting to overthrow him. It was more like when this guy finds out who I am and why he shouldn't like me, uh, I'm going to have the keys to his ship and a way out of this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a single-minded opportunist. Hmm. Yeah, he is as he always is. I mean. People would be annoyed if he wasn't in it, so he's in it. That's basically why he's there. I think it's better for him being there. I, I do. I, I I really like it. I mean, this is something that I always say on these podcasts: is we do look at it with a more critical eye than a sort of an eye for praise. So, um, I I, I really liked his presence in it overall. I thought he was really funny. The lines they gave the character were good. Um, this sort of dry wit. I think just played really well and amongst everything else that was going on and yeah, they, it just looked like they had a, a, a whale of a time Yeah Look, uh, Anything else on Loki before we move on? I think we covered his usefulness, sorry Loki Yeah I have nothing else on the guy Just yeah, he was there, he would entertain me and that's it <laughs> Just like a jester Yeah, that's it, yeah uh, a character who definitely wasn't useless, though, was Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie, and I thought she was great. Uh, the Again, part of the humour style, she blended in, although she was more... There was that kind of... She was drinking quite heavily to forget the fact that she ran away from battle, which is what a Valkyrie is not supposed to do. So she's... Yeah, she's a bit of a coward, which I found interesting, and her arc involved her not being a coward anymore. Um, I really liked the character. I thought she was played really well. I didn't know how they were going to go along the sort of drunken route when you first introduced her coming off the ship. It's a really funny scene, and you know that, you know, from seeing trailers and stuff, but also you can kind of guess, well, she's going to turn out to be a bit of a badass and end up getting far at the end here anyway. But this sort of introduction of her falling off the gangway to her own ship, I thought was really really quite neat. They didn't seem to play her up as that much of a drunk beyond that point. I think they show her buying drink she's and having a drink, but she's scene. not like, yeah. But it's not that she's sort of staggering all over the place drunk by that point. That's the only time you really see her as that. You see her with the bottle and drinking a full gallon of whatever the hell for uh, that Hulk had on his shelf there. <laughs> and what I imagine would just have been a shot glass for him. But... Um, but yeah, they they didn't really play that up much beyond that point. But I kind of like how she gets a little art. She gets her chance to to fight again towards the end, and I, I liked it. I thought she was played quite well. She uh, she seemed to play quite well off of Chris Hemsworth as well, uh, with a little sort of half thing that they had going on. So yeah, and importantly, she wasn't a love interest. Which yes, is, which is yeah. refreshing. I think overall, I'm very pleased uh, with everything they did with it. The thing that strikes me most was how they managed to present her as someone who was seriously kick-ass in a way that didn't make me question it too much. And there's... Because there's a strange thing about the, the Viking myth. You can't really afford to think about the Viking myth too much because she's supposed to be based on, is it Brumhilde? From the from the uh, from the epics, and so you're thinking of this. If you think about that too, 
much, you'd be thinking about a, a, a huge muscled woman who could stand her own just like any other person on the battlefield. But when you see the, um, the Valkyrie, she is a lot shorter than Thor. Like a lot of um, very attractive women, they put in lead roles. And I'm thinking going back, you know, even like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and so on, she's got these tiny arms, you know, and you think, hang on, this person's supposed to be a Viking warrior. But I did not get bogged down in any of that when I was watching it. I think they presented her with uh, a powerful on-screen presence. I think she was somebody that you believed was angry and could carry that anger out. And when they show her in her Valkyrie uniform, you just think, oh, well, that's who they were. They were these people dressed in silver with the swords, and they're all the same. And it, it was presented as its own internally consistent myth that worked with a, a, a strong, but as you said, uh, slightly broken individual. And because I didn't think about any of the things I've later come to think about, I was thinking, oh, that, that, in my mind, that means it's very well presented and very believable. So, very, so that was a good thing for me. Yeah, I mean, her kind of introduction, I don't find that type of character to be all that original you know the kind of washed up hero who's you know in some backwater drinking always with a drink in their hand uh and guess what they come around and help out the the hero in the end and they you know return to their former glory but having said that i do think she was played well and i thought you know she could definitely handle herself and i enjoyed all those bits you know i loved her kind of action scene when she was kind of leaping about between the spaceships and things um so yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think she was a fun character and and uh, definitely looked like looked the part. Um, but I I just think I've seen enough uh, of these kind of washed up alcoholic to um, return to glory type stories. Yeah, it was nothing particularly new, but I think um, the acting was strong and and she was well written and. The way she kind of blended in, as I said, is it worked. And uh, I think Tessa Thompson's a really good actress. Everything I've seen her in, she's been really engaging. And um, it'd be a sin if they don't bring this character back. Um, she's. It's also an example of kind of colorblind casting, which you know, it's it's annoying that we still have to remark on that, but it's remarkable in itself because um, the character in the comics, she's kind of. She's like you were talking about Aaron, the kind of strong woman, warrior woman thing, and she was, you know, she was, she was tall and blonde and muscular, whereas Tessa Thompson isn't those things, um, but still kind of managed to bring across that that warrior prince, that warrior, not prince. I think, I think you could actually drop the the, the colorblind casting there. I don't. I, you say you feel like you have to mention it. I'm not convinced you do. I think that the differentiation in the Viking myth is more in the size of the woman. You know, mm. she was short with tiny arms, which is absolutely nothing to do with race and culture at all. Well, I'm what they could have done was... The, the comic version of her. No, but they could have re- given me the representation of the Viking still by having a, a coloured woman with massive arms. They could have picked a female bodybuilder, you know, to have played this, and it, you would have thought that is definitely a viking character of old so i think it's it's um 
it, it's it, we don't know that. I mean, if you've read the comics, then you've got that perspective. But I haven't. I mean, obviously, I know what the Viking background requires in that official sense. But but still, I think it was it's 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 not it's not a thing that she was a person of color. I don't think that was in this at all. I, I happily ignored that. I don't think it even came into my mind. No, when you're on an alien planet that's got all these kind of weird, wonderful creatures kicking about, it's you know the, the color of someone's skin is less of a less of a an issue at all for anybody. You know, you've got a rock monster casually kicking about, so doesn't matter. One thing I did notice about the Valkyrie scenes entirely that I know it's not particular to this character, but just because it seems that it's the best place to put it. I did wonder how they were going to use the things they showed off in the trailer, which were the very over-dramatized slow-motion scenes mm. that in the trailers they put the the Flash Gordon wording up across. And I just thought, oh my God, that's going to be awful. But actually, when they used it, they used it in slow motion because it was a bit like it was underwater as in you've got that inability to control it used when Loki pushes her into a dream sequence you know he he actually pushes her mind into an illusion where of course she has to suffer this past emotion and she can't control it and it did seem like a nightmare and I was utterly surprised that they managed to put something that seemed on initial presentation as total melodrama into a scene that actually had great purpose and came across as dramatic rather than ridiculous. Very well placed, I thought. Yeah, I think that they were quite like, um, it kind of evoked sort of classical art and like you say, melodrama that, you know, you've got all the imagery of the the winged horses and things like that, and because of the slow motion, it, it had this almost you know like static kind of painting type feel. Um, but I think that those were used sparingly enough, and that it, it kind of worked in the like you say in the sort of dreamlike nightmare uh, scenes. Yeah, they found a good excuse to get that cool shot in there, basically, um, which normally or not normally, but often you get. A cool shot that just exists because it's a cool shot, but it's, I do like it when they give a justifiable reason for it. And using the device of Loki, as you say, there, and was was really good. You know, the the fact that he could make her, he could torture her with her own memories, uh, was an interesting idea. It's probably something that would take up an entire episode of a TV show, you know, and it's one of those things. But obviously, in a blockbuster film, it's a couple of minutes. Just a quick thing on, you know, Jeff Goldblum, the man who is a stereotype of himself in the best possible way. You know, the, the intre- what I found interesting about the um, the Grandmaster character, there's nothing to him. On the page, he would be the most boring thing ever. And I think if you cast anyone else in that role, he would have been an absolute drag on the film. But the fact that you just got Goldblum's irreverent personality in there, just being himself, brought him to life. Of course, if this character existed in the universe, it would be like Jeff Goldblum. That's just <laughs> that's just how you you know you're like okay if you were writing that character, and I don't know how much of it they did write and how much they sort of improvised round him. Um, but yeah, you just think that's a perfect fit. If if they didn't write it with him in mind, then that was a perfect fit. Yeah, I think he was just kind of. Uh, madcap um, 
head shakingly <laughs> crazy at times. Um, but that you know, it was, it was Jeff Goldblum. He was Jeff Goldblum. It was brilliant in its own kind of way, uh, and kind of fit strangely in with this, the the weird kind of tone of a lot of this film. Um, I think a lot of the stuff was either improv or kind of um, kind of fit around what he could do. I know that the like stuff where he was playing the keyboard is just because he can play the piano in real life. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, yeah, so it's this kind of weird. It does take you out of it because you're like, that's Jeff Goldblum and he's just doing Jeff Goldblum things. Uh, but at the same time, it's so kind of mesmerizing <laughs> that you just have to kind of sit back and, and smile. Well, otherwise he's just a boring dictator type character isn't he you know? yeah and the fact is that you need goldblum to make that or well there's no one like goldblum you need goldblum no one else uh, to make him work otherwise if it just been anyone else it might have just been really dull aaron you got any love for the goldblum hey i got enough <laughs> I, just uh, some lines are better than others. I think I, I'm, I might have liked him to have a few more gags rather than just silliness. I, I liked the bit at the end where he says, "Let's call it a draw." I think that was quite have good. A revolution but, without me, because <laughs> um, that was a good speech. Um, yeah. The bit where he insists on calling them prison with, prisoners with jobs. I thought, <laughs> well, it's, it's not a bad line, but I didn't really laugh. So, yeah, yeah, it was certainly he performed it well. I, th- I think they, they might have given him a little bit more actual jokes to say rather than just relying on him. But he could do it by himself. He didn't need it, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Some of his riffing style lines were so kind of earthbound almost that you're like, how is this guy? <laughs> what is he doing on a different planet? You know, it's like he's he is Jeff Goldblum, so. He's he's Earth Goldblum, not uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing there in outer space in all these colours. Yeah, but it worked. And I just thought there was, we should have a brief section to admire the greatness. Just the even the even the introduction to that character where you've got four on that chair going through you know well what what looks does like he's going through. And it's a got weird the Willy sort of tunnel with the Willy Wonka music yeah, and the, where did the he get sort of that? slowly building introduction. You know that that's something that's obviously fallen through one of these many uh, <laughs> you know orifices that they have up there. Um, but yeah, you know, you just think it was just the introduction to <laughs> to meeting that character. I just thought it was brilliant the way it was done. It was just so much fun. Uh, I did like that scene. Yeah, and one of the first things he does is like vaporize a guy. You know, it could have been pretty dark, but it's not. You know, they they make fun of the fact that it smells bad, and he's just kind of really casual about it. And yeah, you see, it's even later on when when she hands a stick over, and he goes, "Why do I need the death stick? Take the death stick away! I don't need. That. <laughs> I don't need that now." Yeah. yeah. And then there's all the little sidebars to his character that people talk about, rather than you know, rather than actually play in in any way. Like where his ship is only for orgies and things like that. And they're just like, yeah, just don't touch anything. <laughs> it's got like a birthday song playlist and fireworks yeah. and things. <laughs> yeah, just bizarre. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, perfect casting. Just pitch perfect casting, I think. Uh, and just a quick thing, I was quite surprised by how big a role the director himself had in this film. Mm. Uh, as, what was his name? Cor? No. Korg? Korg, something like that. I think it's Korg. Yeah. The rock guy. 
I can yeah. pick that up, but you know, I'd rather just get it wrong and annoy everyone. Confirmed, Korg. There we go. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was kind of just there to be that kind of, I don't know, the kind of casually unimpressed sounding voice. He didn't seem very phased by anything, which is, it's funny, you know, it's, Yeah, the bit where he talks about oh this guy, uh, oh, he he fought the the champion. He's dead. Yeah. It was the revolution on his home world that I liked the story of. I just started a revolution and didn't hold out, hand out enough pamphlets. <laughs> Great. <laughs> How did you get here? Yeah. Yeah, I think that goes back to um, his kind of humor, and you can see that again in his other films where yeah. that he's even cameos, you know yeah yeah he's, yeah he's starred in or cameoed in, and uh, yeah it's like the same sort of things you can see this kind of mundane, down to earth, very sort of deadpan, New Zealand uh, humor. It's like the bit was we're going to take the ship and go across the universe. What a come? It's <laughs> <laughs> this most casual thing in the world, and he's just like saving Asgard at the same time. It's, yeah. Uh, I was surprised because um, when he showed up, I thought it would just be for that scene, and then he showed up again, and then again, and then again. <laughs> He's got to get himself in there. He'll be in Infinity War next. He'll be like helping out. Could happen. Well, that's it. I mean, if you're directing it and you give yourself a big enough part, and you, you're like, you've got to be kept around now. I've got to be in the other films. Big part of the um, the MCU. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so on to the villain we have a villain uh, Kate Blanchett as Gila who turns out to be Thor's sister which is a twist that I didn't need um, it's just one of those things that of course she's related to everybody you know as Odin's firstborn although I did quite like the idea of um, alternative history you know Odin just made up what he thought what history was after he got rid of her uh, that, that was quite interesting it's kind of he's a his, his rule was a facade it wasn't it was really, quite quite convenient that he didn't um you know get rid of any of the old paintings or records of what had happened he just sort of covered over them so that yeah (laughs) so that you could just you know hit the ground and then oh no (laughs) all my skeletons in the cupboard the question is why wasn't that revealed during uh, the dark world you know when the palace got trashed (laughs) because story reasons because they hadn't come up with it yet that's why but (laughs) you have to wonder uh Healer though, good villain I thought uh, there wasn't an awful lot of her uh, although she kept a threat level every time she appeared um, I mean she didn't interact with many of the characters, she killed most of the characters we knew from previous films uh, the Warriors 3 all got unceremoniously murdered um, so she just kind of sits there just trying to find the sword that powers the Bifrost, so she's stuck mm. essentially yeah, I don't know how great of a character I thought she was. Um, I mean, that's just the problem with all of these films, isn't it? That you've got this all-powerful um, character who shows up, kind of announces who they are, enslaves a people for half a film, and then uh, is dispatched, you know? Uh, and I just feel like, yeah, like you say, when she turned up in Asgard, not not really much happened. No, she was. Uh, it, you know, she did keep her power level at least for this. It was never that she sort of lost her power. It was the fact that they just put in something there that was even more powerful and was destroying the source of hers. You know, it was like an end game 
situation there. I think she was really fun and she fitted the tone of the film pretty well. But, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. There wasn't anything that stood out above a lot of others. Um, but, yeah, I, I still think she was deployed pretty well. I, you do think that if she was that powerful... And Asgard does not look like that big a place when you look at it. <laughs> that surely finding the sword should not have taken her quite as long as it did. Um, mm. But, you know, they, they they seem to take it up to the last minute and, until she gets her end. Well, the, the thing is, um, the meat of the film was set on Sakaar, was dealing with Thor's escape from there. So there wasn't an awful lot of time to do much with Hela. You know, she wasn't she essentially wasn't the main villain. Uh, I mean, she was, but she wasn't because she spends precious little time interacting with Thor himself because most of the film is about him getting to her. So who was the main villain, do you think? The situation, more than anything else. The fact mm. that Thor is stuck, that was the villain, you know. Um, he had to find a way out of that. And even the Grand Master wasn't threatening enough. As a, as an antagonist, I mean, he was he was just something that was in the way. I think that's yeah. my issue with the plot is that it kind of stalls out for a while. He he's trapped for a bit, and then he escapes, and then you know, kind of mops up at the end. Obviously, there's a bit of uh, destruction of everything that he's ever known and loved, but uh, <laughs> hmm. but even that is like a you know, uh, it's my sister. She's gonna uh, she's gonna kick some ass. Oh well, let's unleash Ragnarok on her. Well, it's it's kind of the same for both of them though. They're both they're both trapped. They're both stuck. It's not like she's marauding about or anything. She's stuck in Asgard. He's stuck in Sakaar. So that it's it it doesn't leave them physically, you know, with anywhere to go. It's mm-hmm. I, I I do think she she was the villain of the piece. You can't you can't deny that. I don't think the situation of him being stuck is so much the villain. She definitely was. Her plan. You know, would have been to roam about. The thing is that if you were to put them into a straight-up fight and for it to be a battle uh, or a long-lasting battle to win back Asgard, Thor would lose. You know, this this is how they come to the conclusion that they do by the end is that you know, actually, we we need to cause Ragnarok in order to get rid of her. We need to completely start afresh in order mm-hmm. to to cure this. Well, yeah, it was um, another gag, wasn't it? It was I hit her with the biggest bolt of lightning ever, and it did yeah. nothing. So. What's he going to do? Find a bigger bolt of lightning, you know? Yeah, there's um, just there's there was no end game situation there that would work. If if they had put a a fight right at the very beginning between her and him, he would have lost. It would have been over. She would have been ruling Asgard and destroying everything else. So you know that's it. Well, the thing, I mean, obviously she had to be stuck in Asgard, otherwise Earth would have been destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> you know everything. Um, if only she'd had a spaceship that would be able to tell her where the heat signatures of the citizens were cowering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a, any sensors on Asgard to, to find all that. Uh, she's powerful, As- but she's not that good. <laughs> As you know, Asgard is one of the most uh, insecure fortresses in the world because uh, Loki seems to sneak in and out all the time. The frost giants got in. Uh, yeah. everyone, everyone breaks into Asgard, so you know there's no security system. There's one CCTV camera pointing at the front door, but it ignores the back door, yeah? Thor Thor got it destroyed. It was an insurance job. He was like, this place needs too much work. I'm (laughs) just going to claim the insurance and start again. (laughs) Just buy buy a new place. Uh, 
Yeah, and again, the, the destruction of Asgard was a bit of a gag as well. You know, the, the director was like, we can build it, you know, we can rebuild strong foundations, and then it just blows up, and yeah, you can, probably can't do anything with that now. You know, and <laughs> it's, it's weird because it undercuts this really dramatic moment of Thor losing the place that he grew up for thousands of years. And again, it's a joke. I mean, I, I thought it was funny, but at the same time, it was like, maybe, maybe let that moment sit for a minute. No, I saw the moment. Go for the gag. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I, I, I thought it was quite funny. He's, he's, you know, you can tell exactly what's going to happen. He's standing there. He's going, "Oh, and on those foundations, we shall build a stronger, bigger, better." No, it's gone. It's, it's yeah. completely gone. There's no way. I don't. I like that. It's... Yeah. Aaron, thoughts on Hela or Hela, however you pronounce her name. I was pleased they didn't turn her into a twirly moustache villain. I think they avoided that. They. She she was so she was very simple with one purpose, and I didn't mind her being a sister actually, just because it made sense in terms of the background. Because the villagers in Asgard seem to be just as you say useless you know, <laughs> powers of collecting apples, so they can't really do anything. So how the the guys in charge managed to become gods to Earth, and the others were just kind of having a laugh and walking around. I, I don't really know, but. But they need to, in the background. They needed to make her connected to Odin to give her some power. But then, at least while she had some fun with it, and she definitely had some fun with it. Oh, so good to be here again! All those lines that yeah. they, I think they worked without giving her over the top maniacal laughter just to prove how evil she was. You know, and it's, so I, I'm pleased that they didn't turn her into the hood from Penelope Pitstop or anything equally as. <laughs> pointless and I was very pleased how she was defeated she was defeated by choice in the end they didn't just find a way of of getting the hammer back and imbuing it with all the new powers of his belief such that then the lightning would be even stronger through the reflected power of Mjolnir no, that would have just been a total waste of time they defeated her by doing something clever and so I was all on board for that the, the, the whole that whole villain setup. Yeah, and it was the. It was also a kind of triumphant moment for Thor when he realizes um, that he's protecting his people, not a not a place. Uh, I don't know, and it's, it's it's an interesting distinction for especially for someone who's essentially a spoiled rich kid. Um, it's a nice but, idea. I don't know how you fit some that presumably that many people that must have lived in Asgard onto <laughs> a ship that was then dwarfed by what you've claimed must be Thanos' ship, which, by the way, must be the size of a planet itself then. You know, surely surely Thanos' ship has its own gravity, and then if if, if all of Asgard is in that one tiny little freighter... Um, but I, I couldn't get the sizes at all. Who was it that said that, that Hulk himself is of indeterminate size, depending on his surroundings? I think all of Asgard seemed to have the same trouble. That was you, Chris, I think. What was that? Sorry, <laughs> the Hulk size thing. Yeah, I, I that uh, that always confuses me, and it's confused me since Avengers, where he was uh, small enough to fit in the flat, but big enough to to ride on the back of one of those flying beast things that they had in the Avengers film. And this one, he seems to shrink so that he can fit inside the ship at the end. When you see the height of the ceiling in the ship, it just seems very weird to me. 
I also hope Heimdall had plenty of toilets installed in that hall. He was keeping everybody in. That was <laughs> there was a lot of people in there. That is a fair concern. <laughs> well, the good news is with all the plumbing there, it all just runs over the side. I'd, I'd love to know. I'd love to know where 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 does all that water go? Is there some planet down below going? Oh, for Christ's sake! Will they just turn the water off? No wonder the frost giants don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> so here it comes. You know, say. Uh, well, it's like, you know, it's like the the Gardaloo thing in Edinburgh, isn't it? You know, the mm. the, um, the Asgardians throw all their crap over the side. <laughs> Asgardaloo. Yeah. Oh. oh, good one. <laughs> it's been a while since we had a little pun, so it's good. Hey, good I came that. to that one organically. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, Hela, hella good villain, I suppose. She's one of the better MCU villains. I mean, I know that's not a high bar in most cases. They're normally pretty limp because they only have one film and they're going to probably die at the end of it, so why bother? Um, she's one of the better ones. Loki's obviously up there. Uh, for me, I like the Abomination and the Incredible Hulk. Um struggling to think of any others that have been engaging in any way. Winter Soldier, not really a villain, but sort of one of the better ones. Spit. Who else is there? Yeah. Uh, Ultron. Ultron was good. That's it. Yeah. Uh, it. They're not the best with their villains in the MCU. Still, it's the same problem every film. Although she was one of the best, and I think it's part of it is the the gravitas that Kate Blanchett brings to her performance. You know, she's a, a, a top tier actress, and she really brings brings it here and. Yeah, I think just to, just like everyone else in this, she just you know it's a good opportunity to just ham it up. Yeah. I think everyone kind of turned up and was like, well, you know, this is this is going to be, you know, a lot of fun, kind of ridiculous, melodramatic. Let's just go for it. Uh, apart from Anthony Hopkins, who was like, I, I'm only going to appear in a shirt and a jacket, and I'm not getting dressed up at all. So, <sighs> well, he did ham it up when he was Loki. He did oh, a wee yeah, bit, the yeah. Scenes, yeah. They got a wee bit of hamming out of him. I thought it was quite funny when he, when he just said, oh, shit. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it was quite. I thought it was funny the rest of the time because you're so used to seeing him in all this kind of ceremonial golden garb and he was just kind of cutting about in a, in a pretty plain clothes just in the, Norway. Just just waiting at the edge of a cliff to yep. Yeah. Um, he was do. He was attending the Luke Skywalker school of Enigma, just standing at the edge of a cliff yeah. waiting for people. Mm-hmm. What if they had arrived five minutes late? <laughs> they wouldn't have got any exposition at all. It would have been like, oh, I'm pretty sure he was here. No, no, he wasn't there at all. Yeah. I think he made a choice to die. That's how. Perhaps I don't know. Head cannon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, th- I thought the the. The moment where Thor spoke to him or had a vision quest or had a vision of it or whatever the hell it was, that was a, that was pretty pretty ropey, actually. Because mm. you had the drum beats as it was kind of zooming in on his face. It was very, very weird. Yeah, Odin, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Those, something I think we discussed last week Chris, after we saw it, it was the um, 
the style of humour, it was weird because, I mean, I loved the humour throughout, but you, it got to a stage where you could predict what the gag was going to be. And you touched on that when the Asgard blew up. You knew what was, you know, this is going to blow up now. And there was quite a lot of that, actually, where they would set something up and you would just wait for the punchline. Yeah, there, well, there, was, there was a few things where you could tell through through the sort of style that they would line up and the way they're talking exactly like the sort of the Asgard blowing up kind of gag they'll go oh wouldn't it be terrible if all this fell apart right now oh look it's all falling apart right now um, kind of humour that they put in it but I overall I really liked the tone and the fun in this film uh, the other films in the past seem to have struggled with that line between are we going to be a fun film are we going to be a serious film are we going to try and do all these thoughtful elements in it and with this one, they just went, no, we're going to do a funny film. Um, it's it's going to have implications for the, the further universe, but we're not really going to dwell on them during this. Uh, you can think about them later, however, we're going to have a laugh while we do this, um, is what they basically did, which is almost the sort of Guardians of the Galaxy approach that they've taken here. I mean, the sort of styling of a lot of it, the way the humours worked in elements of this is basically out of the the guardians of the galaxy playbook really i thought mm. as guardians of the galaxy yes <laughs> nice. yes i got that in there <laughs> <laughs> i was waiting i was waiting uh, randomly occurred to me on the subject of decent mcu villains i thought that vulture and eagle were pretty good i don't know i just forgot about them until now but just had to bring that in but uh, yeah that's off topic um so yeah the humor um it's weird because normally it annoys me if I can tell what the punchline of the joke's going to be, but sometimes it was the way it was handled was a bit funnier than it was going to be in my head. So you know, maybe I'm not as funny as Taika Waititi. The it's anticipation just, you know, the of the of the punchline, and yeah. I've got to say the advantage. I mean, I went to the same screening as Craig and Aaron, and it was packed. It was really, really full of people that were all really looking forward to it. Everyone was kind of laughing along, and I think it's one of those combined audience viewing things that really works in a comedy. I think if you saw that by yourself in a screening room or, you know, when you read some of the reviews that have come out for this film, um, if you're sitting there just with a bunch of reviewers with notebooks scribbling along, not really there to enjoy the film or it's not, you know, the humour's not their cup of tea from the start, I can imagine you would have a different viewing experience of this. Uh, I'm not sure, Angus, about what your um, screening was like, but, you know, ours, because of the laughter, you kind of get carried away along with other people and even films that I have seen tons of times before, um, we've done a few different things like um, Indiana Jones, for example, at the Edinburgh Film Festival this year, we saw a live screen of that with audiences mm. and the gags are still getting big laughs from audiences and you get even more carried away because you're joining in with others. I think there's a, a, a group effort in that kind of thing and I think that applies to this film as well. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I, our screening was like that as well. Um, you definitely kind of get caught up caught up in the humor of it and um yeah everyone's kind of reacting along together and it was it's the same with the with the action you can tell people are kind of enjoying when there's you know big punches being thrown and stuff and that you've got the kind of pounding led zep soundtrack and stuff as well you know people get are really getting into the, the feel of it so it definitely helps to see it with a, a receptive crowd yeah, uh, the crowd can make a difference sometimes. Uh, I know I frequently go to the cinema and get annoyed at the crowd because they're idiots. 
who just ruin <laughs> it for everyone. Um, popcorn munching morons. Popcorn munching morons. <laughs> We talk, check Facebook, check Twitter, all that. Yeah. And there was none of that in the screening of Ragnarok, thankfully. Uh, everyone was there to enjoy it and have a good day and have a good time, and it, it helps. It definitely helps. First time in ages I've been to the cinema and not seen someone's phone light up. I know. Yeah, that kind of tells you how immersive it was, I suppose, to a degree. We always talk about this in action films, action sequences, of which there were several in this. You had... You know, space battles. Well, ship battles. They weren't quite in space. Uh, you had Thor versus Hulk. Um, you had... What's his name? Uh, Thor versus Surtur. You had the big end brawl in Asgard. You had the Hela killing all the Asgardians. There was quite a bit of quite a bit of action. There was good variety, I think. Not No two action sequences felt the same. And they all had... They were all pretty distinct, which I liked. Also with Thor losing his hammer... You kind of get a different form of combat, you know. Obviously, from the fight at the beginning, he still had his hammer and he's able to do this and that. And then the next, you've, he's not got it, so he's having to fight differently. The sort of pitch battle with Thor was different. Uh, with, sorry, with Hulk was different. Um, you know, I, I, I thought the action scenes were done quite well in this. Yeah, yeah I love the Hulk battle. I uh, I think yeah the the stuff the very first one with the hammer was brilliant you know he's throwing in all the moves and uh, thought it was well kind of choreographed and well shot there was lots of interesting angles following the hammer around and things um, obviously I liked the, the soundtrack I thought that really helped and then I, yeah I liked the the kind of gladiatorial arena battle as well so it's you know it's kind of callbacks to to you know epics. Um, you know, sort of sword and sandals type stuff, um, which was again, yeah, it was appreciated that it was kind of a different sort of thing. And then the one I actually liked the most, I think, was on the bridge at the end, which to kind of tie into the sort of eighties uh, video game type feel made me think, like, you know, kind of evoked a lot of like Mortal Kombat or something like that, sort of side-scrolling <laughs> beat 'em ups where there, yeah. there's these two, you know, forces kind of going at each other. On a, in two dimensions almost just kind of fighting through hordes and hordes of baddies that's an interesting thought yeah um, fair enough uh, I, never, I never thought about the 2D beat em up style thing but uh, yeah, I really like that bit it's an interesting idea yeah and and the end battle used the characters well I think is, you know and although the Hulk was conspicuously absent for quite a lot of it I mean he was fighting the big dog um, but you don't see an awful lot of that you just see a bit in here and there, and then he tries to fight Surtur, which is funny because he's not supposed to. He just sees a big monster and wants to smash it, you know. And that's that's what Hulk does. What Hulk does. That was another one of those gangs that you could almost see coming, but was yeah. still hilarious when he sort of goes, "Oh, wait until you see this. I'll show you who I really am," and then jumps out and face plants straight yeah. into the the Rainbow Bridge. I thought it was. Oh yeah. Like, I'm going to show you, and then he just whacks, and then as far as yeah. you know, he's dead at that point. Yeah, you want to know who I am? This is who I am, and he just <laughs> falls out. <laughs> I'd like to have seen more of a reaction shot from uh, back in the ship, but you know, it's yeah. uh, it's okay. Just some kind of wincing at the you know, yeah. Going up, but uh, uh, yeah, the the striking thing about the the arena battle between Thor and the Hulk is how powerful the Hulk is. I mean. He's, he's sort of limited in previous appearances because of maybe who he's fighting or the fact is it can never be a definite thing. But, but um, when, during this fight, you've just got 
you know, both of them are just wailing on each other with everything they've got, and they can both take it, which is good. I mean, I'm not sure... Well, the Hulk does win, because he just pounds him into the ground, but it's it's touch and go for a while there, I think. Well, that was after Thor got zapped. It was. Which isn't fair, you know? That was uh, That was cheating. I think they do that as an option so that everyone can still debate over who would win. Yeah. That, that's that's a get-out clause for saying, oh, we've not told anyone who would win in that actual fight. Stan Lee always said that it doesn't ma- like no one would ever win. It depends who the writer likes. So, yeah. It's interesting it's a Thor film where he doesn't win the fight against the Hulk. So, there you go. It's a thought. Uh Aaron, anything special on action sequences? Anything stand out to you? I think what stood out most was how this Thor spent such a long time trying to recruit the Hulk to no particular purpose at the end. I mean, I didn't really notice it during the film, and I thought, oh, they've paired up all the villains. Oh, yeah, they've paired Hulk with Fenris. That makes a lot of sense, and it all sort of worked. But then afterwards, I thought, mm, Fenris isn't really in this film. He's not like the threat they needed to get the Hulk for. And at the end, if they could have just made the Bifrost a bit slippery, they could have just pushed Fenris off into the water and it all would have worked out anyway. <laughs> or just off so the side it, of the asteroid. So it, it's it's kind of a bit, it's kind of weird. I'm in two minds about it. I, I agree with everything you said. I think the variation in the Aquan sequences meant that you were never bored. And they did exactly the right thing by pairing everybody up and giving everybody someone to fight. But it's one of those things where you probably bear off not thinking about it too much because otherwise... Thor should have just left the Hulk behind. He survived the fight with the Hulk, and that was a good thing. And then he just walks away because he didn't really need him. Because the bad guys didn't really need Fenris either. It was all a bit weird. Um, and was more into it that in that fight scene, I, I kind of didn't want. I didn't want to see Hulk. I didn't feel like there was the gag at the end where he goes for Surtur is the best part of that whole scene for the Hulk. <laughs> but I was more interested in things like Scourge. What was he going to do? And and them fighting on, on the bridge, as you say, are they? What? How are they going to possibly make a decision whilst they're still fighting? I was totally involved in that scene. It, it, it didn't need Hulk there. It's a bit odd. I don't know, I don't know how to resolve that. Yeah, the, the mini arc that Scourge had was a bit weird because obviously he was just a bit of a coward to begin with. He just went where the most powerful person was, so that he didn't get killed. And then you could see hesitance when he was asked to kill. Some person, some random Asgardian, and then he en- ends up not having to do it. So he never has blood directly in his hands throughout the film. Um, but he does, yeah, he does prove himself. I suppose at the end when he sacrifices himself, he's possibly just another odd addition. We've got so many things going on. You're thinking, did did you really need that? I mean, they they did need somebody though, somebody because you always need to. a sidekick. You always need somebody for characters to speak to because otherwise Hela would have just been killing people <laughs> so he needed to be there for that purpose to give her someone to to riff off but I don't know I, I quite warmed to him for some reason even though he was blatantly a device for some reason I, I actually did care about him so I felt it was well done enough that to, to get me involved it's the power so it's somehow more important to me at the end than, than the Hulk he also allowed Heimdall to be off, kind of running around in the woods. Doing the Asgardian underground wa- railroad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So somebody else was watching the Bifrost. 
There's a strong theory that um, Heimdall is the final Infinity Stone. Um, because he can see everything in the universe and when you see Thor's weird vision in Age of Ultron, he doesn't have his eyes. So the suggestion is that his eyes are like the final Infinity Stone. It's possible. I just thought I'd add that in. Hmm. We'll know in about a year's time. Going to be a gory scene. Lovely. <laughs> well, we're going to got see... that Got that to look forward to. Yeah, going to see Vision getting his jewel ripped out as well. So, Yeah, fun times for everybody. Dark times could be ahead. Although I'm sure they'll be not as dark. As is it not going to be him trying to assemble it and failing? Or is he Maybe. actually going to get his mittens together? Well, I like that they sort of retconned the whole everything in Odin's vault stuff. Uh, it was like the Infinity Gauntlet wasn't real. It was like it, it, it tied into the sort of facade of his leadership, I suppose. <laughs> you know, just he has all this crap that just is worthless. Fake. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that was real was the Tesseract, probably. You know, but the or and the casket thing that the Frost Giants wanted. Yeah, all this crap in his vault. Um, so I've touched on the kind of wider universe aspect there. The most significant tie in this one was the random appearance of Doctor Strange, um, which was good, although the you could have got rid of it and just been like, oh, we found Odin, he's in Norway, and then they just went to Norway instead of that. I mean, I liked the scene as it was, but I think mm. it's weirdly superfluous. There were some interesting kind of visual gags, but yeah, I feel like the it took... The beginning of the film took a, a little bit to get going, and that didn't really help because it was, you know, a bit kind of stop-start with all these different, you know, jumping around. Not specifically within uh, Doctor Strange's house, <laughs> but I mean, you know, just from place to place. I, I think it might have, it could be, could have been done a bit more smoothly. I, I didn't get. I, I do think the fact that they had them sort of jumping physically about the the house didn't really aid in the flow of that scene whatsoever and it did seem a bit disjointed to everything else that had surrounded it like that even tonally it was slightly different from the mm-hmm. comedy that you had seen in the rest of the film so yeah I was a bit a bit confused by that and I don't know how whether it would have been better if they had just went Heimdall where is he oh there he is okay off you go and get him I, yeah. I don't I don't see where the Doctor Strange element had to come in yeah. apart Loki, from the fact that they'd, I put him in Norway yeah, yeah. I, I put him in Norway or Heimdall where is he alright we've found him there he is uh, you're, you know you're now unbanished since it wasn't Odin that actually sacked you uh, you know <laughs> it's that I think would have worked just as well but it seems like because they had already done the sort of post credit scene before with him chatting to Doctor Strange that they needed to somehow tie that in and make it work. I think it works from the perspective that it is a wider universe. I mean, you have the 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 line in Ant-Man that everybody was desperate to hear. You know, first thing we should do is call the Avengers. It's, it's, the, it's the idea that these things shouldn't exist in isolation. I mean, perversely... Thor is perfect to exist in isolation because he is on a totally different planet but you still get the feeling that these people shouldn't be able to move around with impinging on each other somehow especially because of their power level so I definitely agree that the film did not need it but because the film is part of something much bigger it's, it's a good thing to have that continuous connection to the 
to the rest of them, you know, these people are not alone. It is still going to impact on other people's lives when they do something big. So I, I was okay with it. I, I, I agree with you, but I was, I was still okay with it for that reason. And I do quite like the fact that they're at the point and everything they've set up where someone can just turn up for five minutes and, and just be there without any kind of fanfare about it. It's just, he's on Earth, Doctor Strange notices they're all there, and he steps in because as guardians tend to make a mess when they're around. I'm waiting for Natalie to say something here because you've talked about somebody just dropping in for five minutes <laughs> and the timing was going to be this perfect and it just didn't happen. That oh, was the best sorry. setup for a joke. I was trying to, I was trying to catch up to where you guys were because I was like, who are you talking about? And also then I was like, oh yeah, Dr. Strange was in that and I'd kind of forgotten. So. I equally like the, is this on? Oh, it's on. It's a, po- it's a podcast. Hang on while I put down my keys in my bag. <laughs> The keys in the bag are down. Like, There's my bottle. Right. No, that that <laughs> absolutely works too because you've said you could see the jokes coming. And this is exactly <laughs> the same build up. Guys, guys. Okay, so. Um, Listen, hi. This wasn't planned. <laughs> <laughs> um, never is. I'm fresh at the cinema, just having seen Thor. Um, so somebody's we have to go got... back to the start, do we? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think Gus is like, no. Um, no, so sorry. Hello. Gus is in our bedroom actually podcasting, whereas normally we'd be in the living room. So um, I came in and I was like, what the hell? Why is there nobody in the flat? And then I saw that our bedroom door was closed. So I came into the bedroom Please, and Gus. the studio. The studio. <laughs> and I was like, all right, are we podcasting? Is stuff going on? And he wasn't saying anything. So he just passed me some headphones. So I put them on and I was like, well, I can hear everybody, but can they hear me? Because I thought he's probably just going to give me headphones so I can listen to stuff, but um, maybe I'm not allowed to participate. So, yeah. Um, well, Hi. Well, it was a well-timed moment. And I think uh, back in the Batman v Superman one, it was a well-timed <laughs> camera. Was it? But, uh, <laughs> Just very quickly yeah. for the listeners, what did you think of Thor Ragnarok? Just I really get a, liked it. Get the it. woman's perspective. I really liked it. Um, I thought there was some filler that maybe I don't know. I don't know where else you could have gone, or if maybe they could have just gotten rid of it and just I don't know. But um, having just seen it, I really liked it, and uh, I'm interested to see that. Like on the agenda, you haven't talked about the music. Have you talked we, about the music? We have. The what soundtrack has come up. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, isn't it like so different to like the others? Apart from maybe Guardians, although that's kind of a bit more jukeboxy than. Yeah, I feel like actually, like just because it's got a little bit of like electronic, doesn't make it the same as Guardians or similar. I think it's moving in a completely different direction, but it's also like it's super eighties. It's great. It's sort of eighties like, arcade like game, isn't it? Yeah, like it's a, like it made me think of like Tron and sort of even like verging on like sort of Drive, which isn't really related, but yeah. it just felt really sort of reminiscent of of that and I really enjoyed it until maybe like the end when they had um, the, maybe like the ending song was a bit too much but throughout the movie it like has such a great build up I got so into it I thought it really added to the movie I bought the score but I haven't listened to it yet I always buy you my bought it score. you bought yeah. it is it not on Spotify scores um, yeah I always buy Marvel movie scores so uh, I just haven't listened to it yet I'm looking forward to listening to this one again actually and, and I was walking home listening to Immigration Song um, and also I'm looking at like the plot and stuff like did you talk about how um, relevant it is to uh, our current political climate? We didn't get on to that actually no. um, I thought yeah, it was um, I thought they were trying to yeah absolutely like you know there's these people who 
you know, are the are Asgard, and uh, and they currently don't really have a home. They're just sort of flown about space, and they're going to now come to Earth. And I was like, hmm, that'd be interesting because it feels very much like a like a. Obviously, this was written before our current stuff is going on on Earth, but obviously, like this has happened through all of our history, so it's obviously come from that. But I just thought it was pretty well timed for so us to start Thor, discussing. Is Thor it. four going to be about people complaining that these Asgardians come into our planet and they steal our jobs? And... <laughs> like honestly, like it'd be it'd be interesting to see how they're gonna how they're gonna use it. But obviously, like you know that closing bit when that huge ship does it? Who? What is that? That's the European Union and Asgard <laughs> is Britain and Brexit. Don't! That's the president's wall. <laughs> but honestly, because I was like, I, I'm sure you guys would know what that is, but I didn't recognise it. It's Thanos' ship, or I think it is. It's probably. I Thanos don't know who ship. Thanos is. He's the big guy that sits on a chair and doesn't do much. And what? The guy, the guy on the porta potty that's floating about all over the place. The one that's in Doctor Strange? Uh, no, he's not in Doctor Strange. He appears in the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. Oh, he's in the okay. Stingers on both Avengers films. Okay. You know, this uh, end of Age of Ultron, he puts his mm-hmm. hand in a glove and says, I'll do it myself. Okay, because I don't, cause I don't I know Infinity War or anything. He's, yeah. he's been on his way for a while, but he keeps trying <laughs> to stop for petrol and stuff. It just yeah. His ship only gets... But I know I really enjoyed it and um, did you guys see what like your favourite scenes were? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so I totally kind of forgot, well I definitely forgot that um that Hulk was in it. Because I know that he's in the trailer and I remember us discussing it. But when um like when Hulk is there, I was like, Oh yeah, totally forgot. But then, right, Thor when he's all lightning and he's on that like with the on the rainbow bridge and he's just destroying people i thought that was like epic i thought it looked really really good really enjoyed it did you think hulk hot hulk hot <laughs> no i actually <laughs> wondered if um david banner was going to appear at all because i wondered if maybe he just wasn't available for who's david making... banner david banner david banner what's his name dr Who's... banner Bruce Banner? Although, in the TV He's David show, Banner. He was David Banner in that <laughs> Is he? Yeah. He was David right, Banner guys. in the TV show. Because well, that's what I watched when I was, like, yeah. watching reruns with my dad. <laughs> because the, the, producers, um, the producers thought that uh, Bruce would sound too gay, apparently. <laughs> which is what? apparently a true story. So, there we go. Well, that's... Different times, eh? Um, yeah, that's the mental. sad piano music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... that's that's bizarre what a bizarre fact a bizarre factoid there we go there we I'm go them. so I wasn't wrong then he is David like I knew him as David Banner from the TV show it's yeah, not that I'm that old it's literally just that my dad literally watches reruns of TV that's, that's TV but um, you've surely seen more Avengers movies <laughs> far <laughs> more recently than you've been watching maybe uh, more recently but obviously like my short term memory these days is whack so I uh, it's not very good well saw the film what half an hour ago and couldn't remember the Hulk was in it yeah <laughs> it's a good sign of short term memory no it was Doctor Strange that I can remember was in it because he and then and then like Jeff Goldblum love him mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. love him um, I a, thought we had a tribute to the Goldblum yeah. what do you mean like did you play um, some music no we just talked about him oh And what did you guys think of like the first line that uh, Kate Blanchett has? Because I thought her voice was whack. (laughs) 
Did anyone talk about that? Uh, we talked about her a bit. I thought she was really This hot, is like though. previously on the thing you're listening to. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. This is my this is my recap. But um, I actually no I um, I enjoyed her looks, but her voice changed quite a lot. The way she like moved her mouth was interesting for some of it. <laughs> I think we can shorten this podcast just by using your summary because you've basically covered covered all our points, but quite concisely. So I think we can just Craig can just edit us I've out and just concise. put your section in. Have I honestly been concise? Because that's like a first for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, not, I have not, a theory that I've stumbled into an alternate universe recently, so you know, um, yeah, it would prove it. But, did it uh, did it live up to all your expectations of Thor from our um, from our podcast about the trailer? From for Aaron, it surpassed his expectations because he wanted to hate it. I was going to say, if you had really low expectations, then easily pleased. Anyone yeah. else? Um, I expected it to be good. It was probably better than I thought it was. Going yeah, to be. yeah, actually. Yeah. Well, feedback from Kieran was because I dragged Kieran to see it with me today, actually, and he saw it yesterday, and he said it was better second time round. I think he said it was. Time yet. He said. Yeah, but he said that he enjoyed it um, much more. So mm. I'm presuming that he had a great time yesterday. But uh, maybe, maybe I'll go. I, de- I think I'd watch it again. Yeah, I will. I will at some point. Um, I just haven't had the time. Yeah, and Carl Urban's in it. What the hell? No one talked about that. Has anyone talked about Carl Urban? We have. You know, no one talked about that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm asking Gus. We did, yeah, um, he was doing his best impression. It took me a long time to recognise him because I was like, "Where's his hair gone?" He was like, "Damn it, Thor! I'm an executioner, not a." <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! He's crossed over into other worlds. <laughs> Mental. Well, let's right. theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So. Thanks for that summary of everything we talked about. <laughs> just kind of how you are here to hear it. Uh, I think, in terms of just to wrap up the ties to the wider universe thing, there weren't any others really. Uh, Thor talked about the Avengers a bit. Um, you find oh, he's that, the Avengers! How cute yeah, is that? Yeah. That is the, so cute. The explanation for how Hulk wound up there is pretty. Well, there is no explanation. No, there isn't. You see a video Can't of him in a ship, and then you don't find out how he did it. But yeah. I liked um, Loki getting the memories from the Valkyrie though to find out how she ended up there and to see how but I still don't really know how she got there but like she fell a lot about that. yeah <laughs> yeah Just what happened to her face thing. markings I was going to say like she has like facial markings and then when she's fighting she doesn't have them anymore she just does her makeup every day but what, no but honestly <laughs> I thought they were like you know birth markings or class markings or something like that but she like loses them I don't know. Something for the second viewing, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, so any other connections to the rest of the MCU that you can think of other than Thanos' really slow ship? Thanos, um, Doctor Strange, Carl Urban, um, Thor. <laughs> oh yeah, that Thor guy, he's been a couple of other things. How uh, hot is he with his short hair and that red mark in his face? Pretty good, eh? <laughs> I suppose there was oh. Stan Lee. He was a hairdresser. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the weirdest pair of scissors I've ever seen. It's literally going to be so sad when that man dies. Like, do you think he's recorded, like, the next ten movies, like, scenes, just so that he can be in them, like, no matter what happens? 
Yeah, that that rings a bell. I think I read that somewhere. Did he actually? Does he actually? Because I would no, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he's like, recorded honestly. like nine post-credit scenes or nine Aww. appearances or something. He's literally so, so cute. So basically, what they've got is they've got an archive of Stan Lee doing weird stuff, and they're just going to put it in somewhere. <laughs> Sorry, right. could be like holograms everywhere. Eh? We'll live on as the eternal janitor. <laughs> and then when he, if it, you know, I think he's immortal because he hasn't aged since like the sixties. Mm. So um, it's just because he's in that stage of being old where you're old forever. Yeah. Until you die. Yeah, we we can't end on a note of. Stan Lee. Obviously dying. not. Uh, we need something more positive than that. Thor. Let's be positive. Thor and Kate and uh, and Loki. I like that I'm not using her name because what was it? Ella. Yeah, I think it was David. Everyone's hot. Everyone is like literally so beautiful in that movie. It's a joke. <laughs> like what's that guy who's the gatekeeper called? Heimdall. He's hot too. Everyone's hot. <laughs> hot cut. Thor hot. Oh, Hella God. hot. <laughs> Hella hot. <laughs> No, honestly, like, pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Chris, have you got anything positive to say to get us away from Stanley's death? We did. We we told it that we were talking about how everyone's in the like, the prime of their youth and super beautiful. That's my like... my positive note is the fact he's actually still alive at the time of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, you got a positive closing note. I, I think this was the best note. of the four films. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Your was slightly he, more enthusiastic than mine. Because he got to be like lightning. How cool was that? When he becomes lightning. Oh, loved it. He became Raiden and Mortal Kombat did the hell out of he it. He Dead. Wow. <laughs> You're doing so well on the editing front there, Craig. <laughs> he doesn't have the he doesn't have the, the drum symbol it. hat though that, that Raiden or Raiden has. No. Um but how cute is Goldblum and he's like, oh, you got sparks in your fingers. So cute. Little sparkles. Anyway. Angus, have you got a wrap-up positive note? I want everybody in positively. Yes, I thought this was a triumph <laughs> of style over substance. <laughs> I liked a lot of the style of this. I thought that the plot was a bit lacking, but uh, overall, yeah, brilliant action Love the music, love the visuals, mm-hmm. love the gold bloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, loved it. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I could join you guys for this. So, I guess I, <laughs> Dingy. I guess we should get, yeah, you should come up with a positive statement to end on. I like to be pos- I'm trying to be more positive. Good. I don't know how well it's working, but it's working for you pretty well so far. Yeah. That one time. That once. Well, it's it only takes one. Thing to start a habit. I don't know. What? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wait, wait, what? Positive statement. End on a positive statement. Who is? Who, who's the end on the positive statement? Uh, you. It's your turn. Me? Yeah. Okay. I think everyone should see it. Because it's good. Cool. Chris, <laughs> positive statement. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I do think it's one of the, the, the most comedic and well- done comedic ones of the MCU I think and oh what's the director's name I always forget it oh my god did you guys did you wait also yeah so I love him but did you guys who's the guy who plays Thor in the play because everyone else is famous so who's the guy that plays Thor I'm not anyone know because it's um because you've got what's his face my favourite Sam Neill and then you've got that other woman from um the 
Hunt for the Wilder People. Do you know the police woman? Yes. She's in it. She's great. This is some classic wrapping up you're doing here. Sorry, I just really <laughs> want to know who this was because wasn't it Matt who? Damon? No, he was. No, Loki. Matt Damon is Loki. Yeah, yeah. It was Luke Hemsworth. Luke Hemsworth. Oh, we knew it was a lesser Hemsworth. <laughs> According to IMDb. I knew it. I knew it. Like me, me and Kira were talking about it, and we were like, we were like, it has to be a Hemsworth because it looks a lot like him. But then I was like, it can't be Liam. So then Kieran, I think Kieran guessed Luke. Fantastic. Fantastic. Isn't there like a Gary Hemsworth out there or something like that that know. they could have got? Isn't, isn't, there like, isn't there like the forgotten Hemsworth? Could they not have dragged him in instead? I am, I'm surprised mm. that you guys didn't talk about this because honestly... Taylor really, Hemsworth played college girl number two. Oh, there's another Hemsworth in it. <laughs> Who's Zachary Levi again? Is he not um, from uh, American Horror Story? And we're closing IMDb. Is he? Who's he? Zachary anyway. Levi has just been cast as Shazam in the DC movies. So what is he now, Marvel or DC? Because it looks Both. like he's in Marvel. Well, he kind of dies in this one, so he won't be back. Who was is he it? in that? Who he was, was he one in of this the Warriors one? Three. He's one of the people that he unceremoniously killed. Oh yeah. Oh, she was like badass. She gave no fo- oh. fox. She gave no foxes. It doesn't help after you've already said it. Truly. <laughs> so I'm gonna. We need to wrap this up because we'll be here all night. Okay. Um, bye. I'm going to. <laughs> My positive closing statement is I had a great time with this. I laughed a lot and I so rarely laugh at the cinema. Um, I don't respond well to comedy at all, but this was exactly my speed. I love the films of Taika Waititi. I love this film. Uh, I second that emotion. It's one of the, I don't want to say it's one of the better MCU films because that's still fresh and I can't think, I can't, I need to kind of distill it into where it fits in the overall ranking, but It'll be high. It'll be high on the list. Craig, really. since when have you been calling this MCU? Because it literally sounds like a university. Forever. Nah, who? Who's been yeah. calling it an MCU? For the Marvel Cinematic really? Universe. No, my God, nobody calls it that. They just call it Marvel. Everyone calls it that. No one calls it that. Everyone calls it that. <laughs> I've literally never called it that, and I am a person. 20 minutes later. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, I'm so... just saying. I'm like the, I represent the normal folk, so... So, absolutely loved it. Uh, it's time to get in the Bifrost and go somewhere, or maybe get in a ship before everything blows up. Who knows? Um, whatever method of transport you want to use to get to your home planet, the hammer. use it. A hammer. Hmm. Travel by hammer. Well, break <laughs> easy. Angus, thank you for joining. Sun's going the... down. Sun's going down. <laughs> Sun's going down. Yes. Right, good night, guys. We'll see you later. So, thank you for hosting. Aaron, thank you for being here. Hi, hi. <laughs> and Chris, also, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here. And Natalie, thank you for the cameo where we almost had to start all over again. Was, what was can great. I say? I'm Jeff Goldblum. That's it. That's what this podcast needed to be longer. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to know what you guys have done with the last three hours, mm. but whatever. <laughs> well, you'll just have to listen and find out. I will. I definitely will. Yeah. So, thanks everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. Bye. So, that was our discussion on Thor Ragnarok, complete with a surprise cameo appearance. Thanks to YouTuber Nstens1117 for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard, then hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please join us on the next Neil Before Pod.